Hello, 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 and welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. Hey everybody, I'm Dave Giesing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, you're listening to Comic Book Herald Live here on YouTube, maybe later on the podcast. We're going to talk about what's new in the world of comic books, including the hook today, where is Marvel and Jonathan Hickman going with the Marvel Ultimate Universe? If you are here with us live, please let me know. How are things coming through? Can you hear? Can you see? I'm starting early today. I'm starting early. Listen, I know this thing says like, you know, there's a planned time to start, but I'm ready to go. I'm ready. It doesn't mean I'm excited to go. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually a little bothered. I'm a little bothered at the moment. Maybe we could talk about that. But here we go. Comic Book Herald Live. If you're here live and in the chat, let me know what's up. Let me know how things are going. And we can talk. Getting your questions, getting your thoughts, getting things you want to review today. Super Chat is open and available. Thanks to those of you who support. You can also support Comic Book Herald Endeavors over on patreon.com slash comic book herald. For as little as $1 a month, you can get some cool benefits. You can also do the same for the My Marvelous Year podcast over at patreon.com slash year. Let's see, we're heading into 2005. We are also a bit of news, bit of news. We are recording our first episode of Convincible. Convincible is being recorded this weekend. This will be the podcast series where I try to convince my co-host, longtime co-host, Zach Dean, of My Marvelous Year that Invincible is, in fact, a great comic book. I have Invincible ranked as my 25th favorite comic book of all time. It's very high, incredibly high. Some would argue too high, maybe even me. But Zach says, no, this comic is no good. Convincible will be an eight-episode limited series where we cover basically a, a ultimate collection and you know and, and change per episode and uh and i'm going to take a different approach to trying to convince zach that invincible rules every episode this may this may change my view of invincible because i haven't reread it since i read it the first time right zach famously will say will <laughs> will take a stance opposite me and then come down very very lukewarm and and not really hold to that position so the the concept is one of us loves it one of us hates it and we're trying to convince the other of invincible's relative merit so i reread about the first 20 issues of invincible over the last you know week or so for the first time um you know in a decade and this was definitely one of my gateway comics um invincible was i i that ultimate spider-man Going back even further, kind of the early days, Stanley, John Romita, Steve Ditko, amazing Spider-Man stuff. Um, those were definitely gateway comics for me for falling in love with comics the first go round. And it was interesting to go back to these issues. And I won't spoil the contents of what we're going to discuss on Convincible. Uh, some things hold up great. Some things don't. In general, I'm still pretty pro Invincible. I was worried, right? I was worried I would read these 20 issues and be like, oh, no. I have set myself up for multiple recordings <laughs> in which I have to defend a thing that I no longer believe. And I actually don't think that's going to be the case. One thing I will say, this is a minor spoiler for the upcoming Convincible that you've just learned about, but uh, I think one of Invincible's greatest strengths is 
is how it builds on itself over time. I think it is a comic that actually does get better as it goes. Um, whereas many long runs, especially in superhero universes, have a really hard time with that. So that's convincible. We're recording that. It'll be on the My Marvelous Year feeds. If you already listen to us over on My Marvelous Year, great, good, don't change a thing. If you don't, um, you're going to have to make some updates to your podcast listening. I'm telling you, it's worth it. It is, I mean, listen, am I biased? No, I'm not. It is the best comic book podcast, I think, out there right now. Um, there aren't a lot of good ones. There really aren't. <laughs> like, I don't, I mean, I joke about this on, on my Marvelous Hero Bunch, but like, I don't listen to comic book podcasts at all anymore. Um, it has been years. And listen, this is no judgment <laughs> against those of you perhaps listening to me right now. Uh, but it's just like, I, it, it's less of a comment on the quality and probably just more of a comment on what it is that I want to consume with that time. Generally, I listen to sports podcasts, um, maybe the occasional comedy beat, uh, you know, with, with any consistency. Uh, I did my toes back into WTF earlier this year, too. That was that was kind of interesting. But anyway, the one comic book podcast that will not let you down is Convincible. Coming soon to a My Marvelous Year podcast near you. Okay, so that's coming. Why did I start talking about that? Great question. Fantastic question. Hard to say exactly why. Another thing that's happening in the world of Comic Book Herald. Comic Book Herald is approaching 1,000 comics ranked. I have an official list right now of 980. I have like 20 just ready to roll, just ready to be ranked. For example, I just read Hard Boiled, Frank Miller and Jeff Darrow. Let's see. Can I show that right now? Is it up? There it is. We're going to talk about that in a bit. First Darrow I've ever read in my life. I'm ready to rank that puppy. Um, but uh, a bunch of you... And a bunch of other listeners and from other places on CBH like the newsletter, which if you go to compacarol.com, you can subscribe to it right now for free, uh, have sent in their lists and their suggestions. So I've got more than enough suggestions of things to read. That said, keep them coming. If you have ideas for comics that you think could compete among the best comics of all time, among things that I have not read previously, then send them my way. Dave at comicbookherald.com. Dot com, you can do so. Um, the other possibility, the other option here was, what do you think is the worst comic of all time? Can you find me something that is worse than Marvel? Frank Miller's Holy Terror has been sent in by multiple people. Do not send me that anymore, please. <laughs> I already feel badly enough that I am probably going to consider it. Um, it feels... We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it when the time comes. We'll talk about it when the time comes. What else has come up for worst? A few people were like, oh, have you read the Chuck Austin X-Men? I don't have that that rage for the Chuck Austin X-Men. That definitely feels like a you had to be there and caught up in the mania of that kind of thing. Um, so I, I was not. I've read it since. It's fine. There are some really bad moments. There are some nice moments in there as well uh that one is not is not gonna move the needle too much on my least favorite books and you know the other thing i point out with the least favorite books is it does also have to be it's something that 
you would read in full for reasons of creative presence or legacy or history within the medium. Like, it is not such immeasurable trash that, like, no one has talks about it or has read. You know, like, it has to have made waves. And, yeah, that's, you know, within my bottom 25, there's a lot of books that are, like, they sell well or um, they have a reputation, right? Doomsday Clock. Um, what else do I have in there that's kind of popular? Uh, I have Thanos. Um, it's the Jason Aaron one. Ah, oh, boy. Not Origins. Something like that. The Jason Aaron Thanos book. I really dislike uh, Marvel, Wanted by Mark Miller and J.G. Jones. These are books with some some juice. Some juice. Do I have three Jokers in there? I might. I'm not looking at it right now. It's not the point. Anyway, send in your thoughts. Send in your, your picks for best comics or worse, worst comics to Dave at comicbookherald.com. All right. Let's talk about what's stuck in my craw. Let's talk about what's stuck in my craw for a moment. I didn't have time to go to the comic shop today happens i'm a working man a working dad big daddy <laughs> didn't go to the comic shop today and i i go on to the artist formerly known as comiXology and i'm like all right i'll, I'll just do ultimate invasion here and i'll read the, the fourth and final issue this way because i'm curious about where things are going I'm curious about where we're heading we got a, a jonathan hickman and mark Ricciketto, uh ultimate spider-man coming our way in a new Ultimate Universe. That was teased for January 2024. That is exciting. It's interesting. Jonathan Hickman has never done a Spider-Man run. I'm curious what that's going to be. A lot of questions right now about who is the Spider-Man going to be. It's going to be Peter. It's going to be Miles. It's going to be somebody totally new. This is something we talked about on our last live stream last week as well, right? Ultimate Invasion number four. I log on. I go to, I go to purchase a copy. This sucker, <laughs> this digital non how do i phrase this this thing i don't own is nine dollars i can pay nine dollars to effectively rent a read of ultimate invasion number four this pricing is out of control <laughs> like what are we doing here what are we doing ultimate invasion in full is about thirty dollars worth of what effectively boils down to an announcement that Marvel is relaunching the Ultimate Universe. This is the prequel to the setup. Marvel has done this before. So has DC. This is not like a new thing in comics, but the book that sets up the kickoff pretty much always sucks. I'm not pulling punches today. I got no time to pull punches. You live once. I'll pull a punch on this? Always sucks. It's a prequel, it's a setup to the book, this Ultimate Invasion number one, that actually launches the thing. You know what's going to be possibly good <laughs> and exciting? Ultimate Invasion number one. The thing that actually kicks off what this Ultimate Universe is going to be. You know what sucked? The setup to that. The four issues of Ultimate Invasion that barely went anywhere. And tell us just a wee little bit about what's coming down the road. And for that story that tells you an Ultimate Comics Universe is in fact happening, I got that email, thanks. This series could have been an email, right? Let's just be clear about that. You had to pay $30 in print or in digital. Now, I am well aware 
that digital comics have always cost as much, exactly as much as print comics. I am familiar. That is a thing that publishers established so as not to infuriate the direct market. And I would imagine this was established when digital became a thing back in like, what, 2008? I still remember, you know, a decade ago now or so, when it was a big deal that the digital releases were made available for purchase the same day as as print comics because there was the fear that retailers would freak out and that everyone would start buying digital instead of in print and that it would kill local comic shops. And what has happened is now 15 years later since the proliferation of this technology and the artist formerly known as Comixology that they still cost exactly the same. <laughs> they are not commensurate values. Okay? If I go into a comic shop and I say, yes, I will take, I will deliberately spend too much money on this copy of Ultimate Invasion for $9, which is, which is already a poor decision. A bad decision, but at least I can rationalize that in my broken comics brain by saying, I can put this in my collection. This thing could accumulate value over time. I have it. I like having it. I like bagging and boarding it. There is a emotional value to that investment. Paying $9 on, on digital, what does that do for me? Right? It gives me a rented copy. And then when this platform gets shut down because it is owned by a mega corporation that does not give a hoot about the future of the artist formerly known as Comixology, then I don't have it anymore. This is not new. This is, this is, I'm not breaking ground here. Um, but it's really bugged me today. So I didn't buy the, I didn't buy the issue. I didn't buy it. Nine bucks. Nine bucks. Why is it so overpriced? I, there's all this talk about the price of Hickman books these days and the Hickman tax on Marvel comics and with gods, you know, this new series, it's been a big deal. Um, and with gods, I, I can kind of, I don't love it, but I can at least like understand the thinking of this feels like a, you know, closer to a creator own thing that Hickman and um, who is it, Valerio Schiti are really invested in. And th maybe there's a, a belief, there's a real confidence in the quality of gods that you're like, yes, we're going to make this first issue $8. It's worth it. And it's way oversized. And you're going to get bang for your buck. Okay. Um, Ultimate Invasion is so far from that. It is so far from that. I mean, I'll tell you what. I don't know what everybody involved thinks of the work. I'm sure they all did their best. Um, well, no, I'm not sure of that. But I'm sure they all worked really hard to make this come out on time. And um, it's just like it's so badly overpriced for the value, for the setup to the kickoff. This is like paying for tickets. I can't say to see the Bears because that's like, why would you inflict that hell upon yourself? How about the Bears being the actual worst team in all of football right now? How about them Bears being the actual worst team in the entire NFL? Did not see that one coming. Listen, I thought we'd underperform. I did not have confidence that this would actually be the hyped-up turnaround, as was teased. I did not think we'd be the actual worst team in all of football. 
I did not think Justin Fields would be unplayable by week three. That's a killer. If you're like, why is Dave Dower complaining about the price of comics? Could it be the Bears? It's probably the Bears. It's probably the Bears. I watched the same game Taylor watched, and let me tell you, I wasn't having a good time. I'm glad Taylor was. I'm glad she and Travis had a nice time at that game. I did not. <laughs> okay? But where I was going with that is you buy your ticket to see the Chiefs, because they're a fun team worth watching, and that ticket gets you the warm-up band to the national anthem. You get You get to watch, like, the D-tier celeb sing America the Beautiful, but you don't get to stay for the national anthem and you don't get to see the game. That's ultimate invasion, okay? (laughs) It's none of the actual action. It's none of the actual juice. Am I really that bothered by this? I mean, no, not especially, but, like, it's a bad thing for comics. It's a bad thing for fans. When the work is overpriced like this so gratuitously... And doesn't deliver. In my view, all it's doing, digital pricing like this especially, all it's doing is pushing people to piracy. Like, if, if you're, and listen, like, I'm not actually, I'm fine. <laughs> like, like I run Comic Book Herald. I can expense this garbage. <laughs> right? Like, I know what I'm doing. And I have the funds. Things are great. Thank you for your support over on Patreon.com slash Comic Book Herald. But, like, (laughs) if you're actually, like, budgeting here for comics, nine bucks for this thing, and it's just setting the stage for the actual kickoff to the actual Ultimate Universe, come on. That's terrible. Especially on digital. Especially on digital. That, I, I, listen, if I didn't have the funds, I'd look at that and I would say, "I, I guess they want me to steal this. Like, they are advocating for piracy. I mean, come on. And, like, listen, I've talked about this all the time. Comics piracy is absurdly easy. I don't endorse it. I don't encourage it. Especially on the creator-owned side of things. It is horrible for creators. Comics creators are not rolling around in Scrooge McDuck bins of money. I absolutely believe this art should be valued and paid for and respected. And that's what I try to to encourage and... and, um, and fuel in a lot of ways with cbh right on the big two it's a little more mixed but it's like for nine bucks for this for 30 bucks for all four issues if somebody's like i pirated it i'm not that upset about it the other thing too is like you can wait three months and just for less than the cost of the fourth issue a subscription to marvel unlimited you can just read them all on marvel unlimited you just have to wait a minute okay this was, this was a mess, and I, I, I do f- sense, I, I don't have a great finger on the pulse of comics fandom right now, and I don't think anyone does, frankly, because all, all we can really see is what comes into our immediate purview. Social is, I don't know, a, frac- a fraction of what it used to be in terms of, like, sense of community. Okay? And obviously, that's for everything. It's not just comics. But I get the sense... That people are really tiptoeing around saying Ultimate Invasion sucked because it's Jonathan Hickman. And Jonathan Hickman is a famously very popular, celebrated author, including by yours truly. Right? House of X and Powers of Ten bought a lot of goodwill. As has the creator's previous works. I mean, if you if you saw my video I just put out, 
of the best Marvel comics of all time, my literal number one is the Jonathan Hickman Marvel Universe from 2008 to 2016. I am beating that drum as well. But I can sense that there is a a fandom that I think is too hesitant to call a dud a dud. And obviously opinions are going to vary on this. Some of you are like, yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed the series. That happens. So, so it goes with opinions. Um, I, I think I'm especially looking at it through the lens of for the money and for the the kind of setup and expectations of what it means to be relaunching the Ultimate Universe, it's an absolute dud, I think. I don't think Hitch and Curry were the right call artistically. I think that was... I think pulling in Hitch for a cameo when the Ultimate Universe is, is referenced in Secret Wars is super fun and cute. Doing it for all four issues like this just feels like nostalgia peddling, and it doesn't actually help the stories being told, um, which isn't to say Hitch isn't capable of good work still. I, I said this recently. The the Hawkman series with Robert Vendetti semi-recently in the DC canon is really good, <laughs> right? Just not a good fit here. Anyway. Bad price points, bad digital pricing ecosystem encourages piracy. And if the pirates are winning, Pittsburgh's a little too happy. And we can't have that. It's not good for the Cubs. It's not good for anyone. Cubs are struggling to get a wild card spot. Bears are the worst team in football. The Cubs are struggling to get a wild card spot. And the Bucks just landed Dame. Come on. Bulls were already going nowhere fast. You want to talk about regression? You want to talk about malaise? Let's talk about the Chicago Bulls. Dame going to the Bucks. Good golly. That will be fun to watch with Giannis. But uh, I guess I just I just pretend to fully embrace and adopt my dad's Wisconsin hood for the next year. I don't know why. When I was in, like, fourth grade, I had the choice to just follow in my father's footsteps and be a Wisconsin sports team or to try to fit in to where I lived and be a Chicago sports fan. And I chose badly. The lesson here, never succumb to peer pressure. Always respect your daddies. <laughs> I think we can all agree. Okay, where are we going with this? Oh, yeah, Ultimate Invasion. So $30 for an announcement that Marvel's relaunching the Ultimate Universe. Um, it seems from the contents of the comics, like we will be playing in this now maker-established 6160. So it's uh, it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Ultimate Universe that we knew, but everything's a little to the left. You know, it's just a little askew. Everything's changed a little bit. But it seems like, you know, the maker's attempts to sort of recraft an Ultimate Universe in their own image is, in fact, going to be the universe that the new Ultimate Universe is set in. So instead of a continuation from the old one, which would have been crazy, and instead of like 100% creating something entirely new, which I actually kind of think would have been the best, it's like a little bit of a mixture of both. It's like a little bit of a, It's more new than not, but not entirely. You know, it feels of a piece with the previous Ultimate Universe. Um, except things are different here. Certain characters, a la Peter Parker, never had spider powers. Right? He's going to be the example everybody talks about for the while. 
because of the Hickman Chiquetto Spider-Man book. So, you know, what we could have in a Hickman Chiquetto Ultimate Spider-Man is a book about a Peter Parker who doesn't get his abilities until he's like middle-aged and a teacher. And then that's a new lens maybe to now sort of do your Spider-Man book instead of high schooler Peter. That ship has sailed kind of thing. Or you write off Peter entirely and it could be a new character. I guess we'll see. I'm still kind of pro new character. I mean, I think you can kind of have your cake and eat it too on that one. You can have Peter around um, older in the background. You can have a Miles. Maybe you bring in the clone, Jessica Drew, you know, who's a clone of Peter Parker. That that sort of ideas. You can have a whole spider family. But I do like the idea of actually creating a new one to do this thing. Um, I think that might be the most exciting. As far as like... Does the I guess here's the question for the live crew. Does Ultimate Invasion and kind of where where it seems like the Ultimate Universe is going, does that make you more excited about it being relaunched, less excited, or just totally neutral? Because I guess for me, it actually makes me a little less excited, <laughs> which is like the opposite intent of what it is supposed to do. You know, I think if we're going in fresh to an ultimate invasion number one kickoff and that's just the first thing we see i'm probably pretty excited about that because then it's like oh okay what's it gonna be let's launch this new thing and then let's dive into it as opposed to this very again the book that sets up the kickoff is always a disappointment there's no good example of this it's just not so hmm. <clears throat> Unforced error. Unforced error. All right. Getting your thoughts on Ultimate Invasion. I want to hear about it. <coughs> Excuse me. Getting your questions. Getting your thoughts. Again, some of you might like the book. That's fine. Like, it, it's, it's it's Jonathan Hickman and Brian Hitch. Like, it is a competent comic book. Um, I just think given the expectations, given the price point, given what it's trying to do, it's a dud. And it's a disappointment, in my view. Comic Herald is brought to you by Big Water. Big Water is brought to you by your local refrigerator. No ice, no supplements, just a bit of relatively warm water. Big Water, available in a home near you. What else happened today? No news today. Really. Like, like news was pouring in last week. Didn't happen here. All right, let's talk about some comics. My favorite comic today was Immortal Thor number two. Maybe. But it might have been Jean Grey number two. <laughs> and I would not I would not have guessed how much I was enjoying Jean Grey. Okay, so here's what I love about Jean Grey. <coughs> Louis Simonson, Bernard Chang are taking the opportunity of Jean's apparent death at this year's Hellfire Gala to revisit all of Jean's history, the most iconic moments throughout Jean Grey's history, through the lens of a character who, during the Brian Michael Brandis run of Marvel Now, came to the future as a kid and then went back in time with the knowledge of what her, her future self would go through. And what I did not... I, I never connected these dots until today 
in reading it, I realized, oh, this is the Moira X book I always wanted. <laughs> this is someone who knows what's coming, who knows how the future is going to play out, and gets to decide now what to do about it and and how much to change things, how not to change things, what can be done given your knowledge of what is to come and, and the ways that if you change those things, do they actually get better? Do things actually get worse? It's the Moira X book I wanted. <laughs> it's actually a really strong what-if flashback series through the history of X-Men. You know, and, and Gene's moments specifically. So the first one was all about the original X-Men and going up against Magneto. And then the second one here is about the Phoenix. And the Phoenix first coming into power as she pilots the uh, the the space shuttle back in, you know, circa Uncanny X-Men, what is it, you know, 100-something. Um, and, and here, the what-if is, well, what if Gene just gave the knowledge of pilot, cause piloting that shuttle to Wolverine and Wolverine tried to use his healing factor to get the X-Men back to Earth safely. So they do that, and then Wolverine becomes kind of possessed by the Phoenix. We get some Dark Phoenix stuff bouncing around. It being a Marvel what-if, the tradition of Marvel what-if, things go bad, right? That is how Marvel what-ifs go. I'd, I would love, if anyone's like, hey, you know this Marvel what-if, it actually ends well. I would love to know about that book because I have I don't think I've ever read one where things don't just go off the wall terrible <laughs> every time, you know. Um, but but this one is like, it's good. It's just well done. I mean, on one hand, it's it's a bummer that it's doing the Moira thing and it's saying, oh, yeah, this is, this is the potential this series had, you know, post-House and Powers. But on the other hand, it's doing it well and it's doing it with Gene. So, so good for them. It's also the first example, I think, that I've read in this entire era of X-Men comics where a, a creator and, and a book actually pulls off the blend of being a legacy title and having contemporary relevance instead of just being painted into this corner of the old-timers community, you know, of, of the, like, oh, the, the, you know, the OGs get their little minis, which is great pay them you should <laughs> but it's like how about you let them play in the play, bo play box a little bit too the play box that's what we call it not the sandbox go play in the play box timmy um that's what that's what louise simonson gets to do here with gene gray shockingly good cool premise can't believe we never got a murder book that did this throughout x-men history what a bust <laughs> What a disappointing bust. But yeah, Jean Grey's pretty good. Uh, speaking of pretty good, Immortal Thor is still exciting. It's still nowhere near the Immortal Hulk level. You know, that was kind of my one my one hesitant feeling about the first issue, which I really enjoyed. This is Al Ewing's uh, new Immortal book. And, you know, it was like, okay, like, yeah, this is, this is interesting. I'm definitely going to be reading this run. Al Ewing is Marvel's best writer. What's Immortal Thor going to do? I'm going to be here to find that out. And Immortal Thor number two definitely is like, okay, it feels kind of standard Thorish. You know, it feels like the start to a new Thor run. And if you're like, yes, it, it is that. It should feel like that. The problem is because it's in the same nomenclature and, and legacy of Immortal Hulk, the expectation is this is the prestige Marvel book. And right now it doesn't feel like that at all. You know, it's not hitting at that level 
Um, it's not playing on those terms. Will it get there? It could. I'm not going to doubt that Al Ewing might get there, but um, it doesn't feel like a reinvention for Thor in the way that Immortal Hulk was a reinvention for Hulk. And it does, you know, it does highlight in the wake of 2019, and you had Immortal Hulk firing, and then you had House of X and Powers of Ten. There was so much chatter about like how great those books are, right? But then also just this idea of you know, oh, everything needs to be reinvented. And oh, everything should be given a fresh coat of paint. Like these, like these creators found out how to do for these books. And it, it does highlight like that is such a difficult thing to do. If it was easy, everyone would do that all the time. <laughs> it is incredibly hard to have that idea, to execute it, to have the confidence, the editorial support, the right creative units in place the continuity lining up like ever like so many things have to go right to get to that point you know and i say this a lot but like it is a small miracle when comics are really good when comics are exceptional in the big two and that's why we should celebrate the great ones immortal thor right now feels like it's on good not great trajectory but it's very early two issues in i'm a million times you know gonna read this series by next issue, it could be, oh, here it is, and it's firing. And this is the best comic I've ever read. <laughs> we could get there. I liked how this one ended. A lot, actually. It seems like Ewing is is leaning back on those Loki days, on, on his understanding of that character. And uh, it's it's going to be interesting. I just need to know, is it going to be great? Because like right now, I would say, it's not as good as X-Men Red to me right now. And that's fine. That's like my favorite Marvel comic. Um, but, I, you know, it's called Immortal Thor. We got big, big talk going to this one. Is it going to get there? I don't know. I don't see it yet. But it's very good. Another book that I hoped would be very good, and I can't quite get there, is Flash, number one. Another new interesting DC number one kickoff. It's Flash number one. This one's by Cy Spurrier by Mike Diodata Jr. Sysperger, of course. Writing Uncanny Spider-Man right now has been writing, you know, kind of the Nightcrawler sequence, in the, including Legion of X most recently, in the X office. I was pretty curious what Spurrier would bring to the Flash. Definitely didn't seem like an obvious move. Um, didn't seem like the type of book that Spurrier necessarily would have worked on in the past, so it made me very curious, like, what are they going to bring to this title? And... You can tell, I think, in Flash number one that Spurrier is holding back, maybe a little more restrained on some of their more verbose uh, ticks that come in when they write characters like Legion. Um, and and honestly, like I think we're pretty detrimental in Legion of X a lot of times. I think that's good. The Flash number one was teased by Spurrier himself as being like the anatomy lesson, which is the iconic first issue of Alan Moore Swamp Thing. I don't know if it's John Totalben or Stephen Bissett at that point, um, that early in the run, but like that is, you know, you're just short of being like, this is Watchmen for the Flash. <laughs> like, talking a huge game, if that's what you're saying. This first issue does not hit on that level. You know, um, it made me 
curious that if this book starts getting some buzz, like I would read a first arc. You know, there are moments I like. I like Diodato Jr.'s layouts a lot. I don't like... I, I don't love him as a fit for The Flash, a book that is supposed to be so kinetic and have so much movement. Um, the book feels very still. I think Diodato Jr. draws kind of like frozen posters as opposed to things that are in constant movement. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely... It definitely was not a book where I was like, oh, okay, this is what I'm reading. Like Wonder Woman number one I talked about last week. I'm definitely going to be checking out every issue for a while. You know, because I'm I'm incredibly curious how it can sustain what it's promising here. And in Flash number one, didn't quite get there. I could tell it wanted to. I could tell it wanted to. But I was not especially won over. You know? Um... But again, it's that's a, like setting the bar at a first issue needs to do that. Is I mean that, that is the goal of a first issue, but again, an incredibly difficult feat to accomplish. You know, I mean, no comic series should be judged in whole by its first issue, right? That said, the ones that blow the top of your head off, House of X number one. You know, more on Anatomy Lesson, just reference Watchmen number one. Um, even the Wonder Woman number one, which is not on those books level, but is just, as far as a mission statement, has a clarity and a vision and an ambition that it's like, okay, here's where we're going. Here's what we're swinging for. Are you in? And to get an immediate yes is, you know, is your goal. Producing that first issue. And Flash did not get an immediate yes from me. I don't know. I'm curious what, what the rest of you think, though. Let's see. Oh, Vass says, what if Jessica Jones joined the Avengers, ended happily with a wedding and a new hero's age? Okay. Maybe some of the modern, maybe some of the more modern what ifs have the potential for a positive ending. I was actually just thinking like the, the, the what if that Lee Williams did where Ileana becomes Sorcerer Supreme, I remember being really awesome. <laughs> that might actually end positively. I don't remember how that ends. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. The old ones, the, the original what ifs, all end with like just like a comedy of <laughs> of nightmares. Let's see. Christoph says, "I don't want the Ultimate Universe to be a never-ending universe. It'd be nice if it had a five-year-long plan with a beginning and an end." Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, I, I've been saying forever that's exactly what the Ultimate Universe should be. It should always have an end date. There's an expiration date on the Ultimate Universe, and if it is not respected, things go sour. All right. Quick break. Need some more water. Oh boy. Oh boy. What a day. Uh, Warren here says somebody said that the Ultimate Universe relaunch is Marvel's version of the Milestone Initiative. <sighs> well, the Milestone Initiative was Dwayne McDuffie and uh, Dennis Cowan and Reginald Hudlin. Christopher Priest involvement, even though he wasn't, I think, credited at the time as one of the founders. Um, maybe a handful of others I'm forgetting. But was was their vision for, you know, a black comics universe, which was not a part of DC at the time, um, even though, you know, DC now owns the right and finally is able to, to reproduce those comics. And it's where we get characters like uh, Static Shock. It's probably the most famous in hardware and is 
one of the most ahead of its time and, and influential comics lines of the 90s. <laughs> I don't see a single way in which this is Marvel's version of that. I would love some clarity on how those dots were connected. I don't see it at all. Not even a little. What else came out today? Nothing too exciting, honestly. Uh, Tony and Emma are still going through a wedding. No surprise there. Uh, other Fall of X books are still happening. There's a lot. Man, there's, like, listen, y- y'all know how I feel about this, but, like, there's a lot at the top, Mortal X-Men and X-Men Red, that I'm very excited about. In the Fall of X, I think Children of the Vault is great. I think Uncanny Spider-Man was pretty interesting. Um, but there's a lot of books right now that just feel, you know, there's a lot of, there's too many X-Comics that just feel like they're just happening. He's just like, oh, this thing's also... Ha-. Like, the, the, so much skippable X-Men stuff right now. And I know this is a perpetual Marvel problem. It's, it's you know, it's kind of like the digital pricing thing. Where it's like, just put a, put a notch on the board for Marvel publishes too many comics. That is a thing that's probably not going to change anytime soon. And will just be perpetually to their own detriment. But it's like, there, if you don't have the juice, don't stack the line with X-Books that are just like beyond mid why do it like like who's this helping <laughs> you know um i'm seeing people jump in and say realm of x i like the cast i like the premise it's just like you have five issues to get in and hook us and tell a quick hit story i think one thing that is missing in a lot of these x books right now is an editorial vision that is purpose-driven. I think there's a lot of freedom in the Jordan D. White administration, which has had tremendous success. And I'm not, I don't think anybody could say I've been a a sustained critic of. Um, But I think there's a lot of freedom given to just kind of hangs with your faves, (laughs) right? Kind of... Not even character-driven, but just like like collections of oddities and character relationships that we have not necessarily spent a lot of time with before and just kind of getting in their feelings. And there's a place for that. And that stuff can be important. But how about a purpose-driven narrative at the center of that? And that's what I think Realm of X is missing, hugely. I'm seeing Xavier here saying, maybe let them set the stage. We have two issues of five. How much stage do you want set? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not just picking on you here because I hear that a lot from, from the most dedicated fans who are like, oh, well, it's not done. We have to see how it's finished. You don't. You can make a judgment anytime you want. Not just me, anyone. <laughs> You don't have to wait. Uh, there's there's enough material on the table to form an opinion, to have some thoughts. I just think I, it feels to me like it has been kind of the flaw since, what was the middle stage called? What was Dawn of X? And then it was, was it Realm of X? Now it's a book? What was it? Then it was Destiny of X, now it's Fall of X. What am I missing? Reign of X. That's what it was. Um, just like, I don't know, have a goal. 
especially in these five issue mi minis in the fall of X. Like, have a goal and tell us what it is and go for it. I don't just want to hang purposelessly. Some folks do. I guess that's what they're banking on. Um, Vincent says, the Duggan books being the center isn't really working for the new X titles forming an identity. I think Duggan actually does a pretty good job. Because I've heard that a few times, that, like, the um, the fall of X doesn't have, like, a core book. And that that's part of the problem. I think Duggan's been pretty consistent since the Hellfire Gala in terms of establishing, like, he's the one moving the core sort of center of continuity. I don't think that's been the problem, honestly. Like, if you follow Duggan's work in X-Men and Invincible Iron Man and Uncanny Avengers, I think you have a pretty clear picture of what's happening in the world of X-Men in the fall of X. I do, at least. Like, that is where most of the continuity-heavy stuff is happening, aside from Gillen exploring where the mutants went and Al Ewing dealing with the Civil War on Mars. You know? I think the problem, the challenge more for me is, like, okay, but if that's your center, how, how good is that center? And do you have your best player with the ball? And they don't. You know, um, but I, I think as far as like clarity of of fall of X, I think it's very clear. I don't know. It's not a confusing era. <laughs> right. Shit hit the fan. Like things are terrible for mutants. They've been decimated worse than decimation. You know, um, so I, I think it's it's clear what the intent of this era is. I just think the narratives are kind of like they are not doing as much. Like like Children of the Vault is a great example, right? Because that's an actual new book. And it's got, knows it has five issues and it's going to come in and it's going to hit the vault story hard. And it's going to just do it. This one that's been set up for years. It's like, yeah, we have some grounding in this. This is a thing that's been built up in other comics. Here's a big Children of the Vault story. Feels like it could be its own event. Five issues, we're going to come, we're going to hit that hard, we're going to get everything we got. That's what I want in a five-issue mini, right? You don't have time, and and you're taking for granted sort of reader patience with a book that's just like, oh, let's come hang with some weird mutants during this era. It doesn't make sense, you know? Um, Vincent says, that's not what I was trying to say. The other books aren't tying to it. They don't feel tied to the development of the center of X. Yeah, I mean, okay, that I get. That I get. Everyone's also off in their own corner, kind of doing their own thing. So, like, Duggan's the center, but everything's not running through the center. For sure. I don't know that that's... That would give some purpose, potentially. I think I agree with that. <clears throat> All right. Get in your thoughts. Get in your comments. Get in your questions here. I'm going to pull up some comic recommendations before we go. A Gist in the House by Emily Carroll. This is one of, if not the best comics I've read in 2023. Emily Carroll's fantastic. If you're not familiar with the work of Emily Carroll, I highly recommend that you make yourself acquainted uh, through the woods something about a castle and sexy vampires I forget exactly when it when it last I came to the castle maybe 
something about coming in a castle. Um, <laughs> Carol's really flipping good. Kind of erotic horror sometimes, but a guest in the house is is relatively straightforward. And but it is a it is a haunted house story. It is a semi murder mystery. But then by the end, and I won't spoil it, it is something entirely unexpected. Carol's artwork and ability to craft these just like gorgeous, like impossible to define landscapes is out of this world. This one's out from first second. It is out now. And this is this is going to be one of my favorite comics of the year. I don't know if it's 100% going to be my first favorite, but like this is, I mean, it's like 250, 300 pages. And I sat down on the couch, read the whole thing in one go. It's that flipping good. I almost had to read it a second time because the ending was like so amazing. Um, Gist in the House by Emily Carroll. Check it out. If you like horror, if you like good comics, you will not be disappointed. All right, here's one that's not going to go on the best 2023 list, but I was I was pretty interested in reading it. I'm a huge Black Hammer fan. Um, I got really into Black Hammer when it was coming out in 2017, and I've definitely faded on the Jeff Lemire, you know, driven superhero universe since then. Uh, I saw it in my library recently, The Last Days of Black Hammer. Was out. This is the one that Lemire, I think, kicked off his Substack with, but now it's just out in a trade. This is the... It's a prequel to Black Hammer, and it actually focuses on that character the art is amazing in this you got stefano simeone uh just really kinetic like like exciting art throughout black hammer the problem that i have and it's it's all very competent it's all very it's a well-told superhero story i think the challenge i have with the last day of the black hammer and kind of where black hammer's at is the original series by lemire and dean ormston was was good at sort of subverting superhero expectations while also being incredibly loving and and celebratory of the history of the medium it was clearly a book by superhero comics fans you know but it was a a book that could do that but then also kind of take them seriously and and treat that with respect and kind of focus in on the humanity and the complexity of those characters and kind of you know the best ways that like alan moore tried to do um, and I think since then what has happened is the universe has kept going and more books have come out and Lemire has, you know, he kind of had a hit. Now it's like, well, we've got to maintain that hit. It has kind of just become a superhero comics universe as opposed to any sort of commentary or subversion of of those expectations. And it's kind of become standard, you know, and I, I think The Last Days of Black Hammer is a good example of that because it's like what is more standard superhero comics than the prequel you didn't need, <laughs> right? Than the prequel to a thing that was already pretty well explained in the first series. You know, this reminds me of like Wolverine Origins in some ways where it's like, that's eh, not a book we ever needed. That doesn't add anything. That said, it's competently told. Stefano Simeone is a, a revelation in this. I think the artwork is fantastic. Um, but it, it's kind of, for me, confirmed that like, yeah, I think Black Hammer's, you know, it's definitely at the end of its rope. I think Black Hammer the end is coming out right now. So like, I think Lemire agrees. Um, I'm curious to see how it'll actually end, but it definitely, it's a thing that I love. And I don't know, it kind of highlights like, is creating a non-Big 2 superhero universe, is it possible to do that and sustain it for any long multi-year period of time without just becoming the thing that you're launching in opposition to? Is that even possible? You know, I talked about Convincible at the start of this. Invincible is a good example where it's like, that tries. That tries to actually be an alternate superhero comics universe. It's a really hard thing to pull off. 
I think Black Hammer's lost that plot, but I still like the universe. Final book I read recently that I'm going to talk about today. It's not the only other thing I read recently. Hard Boiled. Frank Miller, Jeff Darrow. Colors by Dave Stewart. A recolor here by Dave Stewart. Um, I had never read any Jeff Darrow art before. I grabbed this one on a whim at the local library. Holy guacamole. <laughs> so good. Holy cow. Uh, trained trained at the heels of Moebius. Clear, like, reading this, I could not believe that I had never read Daryl's work before, that I did not have this as a reference point for Frank Quitely and Nick Patera, because they are so clearly influenced by this material. It is, as, as Frank Miller books go, it is one of the least plot-heavy things I've ever read. It is clearly just an art showcase. I'm always, I always kind of love it when you get a graphic novel that is a celebrated, well-known presence in comic, and it is clearly them just being like, I love this artist, and I am just going to give them the space to do whatever they want and go bananas. That is definitely what happened um, here with Hard Boiled. And man, oh man, so good. So good. Uh, the, the artwork, <laughs> the narrative's like, whatever, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely a, a huge fan of this. I'm going to check out Shaolin Cowboy to see more of what Jeff Darrow can bring to the table. Again, like as a complete package, as a story, middle of the road, but just as a, a visual feast. Good golly. Good golly. Uh, let's see. Xavier says, you did not read Transmetropolitan. I didn't? I thought I did. <laughs> what are you talking about? I've read Transmet. I have it ranked very high on my on my favorite comics list. Does Darrow do, like, covers or something? He's not the regular artist. I think it's Darrow Robertson. Okay, any final thoughts, any final questions? One more sip. But that's this week's Rex for books I have read recently. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, you can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald. Uh, you'll be here any week. The comics are good. Let's see. What do we got? What do we got next week? Anything good coming out? Going over to League of Comic Geeks. We're going to see what is on the table for the week of October 4th. New Immortal X-Men. New X-Men. Number 27 with Scott Summers on the cover. We got new X-Force. I'll be here. Birds of Prey number two. First issue was great. Oh, and God's number one is next week. Okay, say no more. Say no more. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be here next week. Enjoy the comics.